Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Howdy everyone, Ron Spomer back at you with another podcast. This should be podcast 15, I believe, and appropriately enough, it's about whitetail hunting. This magazine article was published in the winter of 1995, and the magazine was Big Game Adventures. So we're going to have ourselves, uh, well, it really was an adventure, it was a, a blizzard hunt in South Dakota. And the article is appropriately titled, South Dakota Blizzard Bucks. And baby, it was. So, let's just dive right in. South Dakota Blizzard Bucks by Ron Spomer. Sure, it was snowing. So what? So what if the temperature was 10 degrees Fahrenheit and the wind chill minus 20 degrees? So ice chunks and slush were grinding down river with a sandpaper hiss. That didn't mean we couldn't go wading. The fact that we did, however, proved deer hunters really are crazy. And Chris Yeoman might be the craziest of all. Yeoman was my South Dakota double deer connection. White tails and muleys. Same state, same river breaks, same hunt. Some deal. I jumped at it. Yeoman is a full-time railroad worker, part-time turkey guide, part-time deer guide, full-time outdoor nut. If it walks, flies, or swims, Chris hunts or fishes for it. During his misspent youth, he wandered every road, trail, trace, and grassland in western South Dakota. No one has known the place quite so intimately since Sitting Bull last passed through. And for Yeoman, every acre has a story. See that draw down there with the cedars trailing up out of it? He asks as he steers the custom-equipped Toyota Land Cruiser down a two-track dirt trail through the whitening grasslands. We took a booner out of there three years ago. A booner is Yeomanese for a Boone and Crockett trophy animal. In this case, a whitetail. We had a guy posted in that saddle, right there. The bucks in this bottom always run through that saddle. And I walked the bottom and I pushed that big booner right to him. See that field? Seen three coyotes come out of there one morning. See those little bushy treetops? Those are full-grown oaks down in a deep draw. That's where Jim saw that monster muley last year. Nobody got him yet. We gotta find him. Find him in this blizzard? As South Dakota blizzards go, this wasn't a bad one, as long as you didn't look into the wind, which has a nasty habit of blowing stinging ice crystals into your eyes. You could see nearly a quarter mile. 
That's far enough for a woodland whitetail hunt, but a major handicap on the prairies. Prairie hunting is a visual affair. There is too little game in too much country to efficiently still hunt. You need to cover ground with your eyes, scanning brushy breaks and narrow bands of trees and creek bottoms for THE buck. Then you stalk him. From a good hilltop you might cover five miles of creek. Of course, because of all those side draws, hills, nooks and crannies, you won't see all of it. Probably only 50%. But at dawn and dusk when deer are moving between bedding cover and feeding fields, they'll pop into view. Then you race to cut the distance and look some more, trying to find them before they bed in some obscure draw where only their antlers and ears poke above the brush. The alternative is to walk your butt off or become a mechanized ridge poker, someone who plants his buns in the saddle of a pickup and drives the pastures until he spots or flushes deer. Driving from hunting point to hunting point is acceptable to this pilgrim, but intentionally hunting from a vehicle just isn't hunting. I want to use my legs, feel my blood coursing, feel the land beneath my feet, the sting of the wind on my cheek. I want to feel like the predator I am, so I walk my butt off. Chris stopped the Toyota where a gravel road crossed the shallow upper end of a long drainage. This runs for maybe three miles, he said. Work it down toward the river and you'll come out where it joins the main draw. I'll park down there and hunt whitetails until you get there. Even though Chris was my guide, I didn't mind if he hunted. In fact, I told him to. Are you sure? He asked the evening before our motel room. It's not right for a guide to kill a buck when his client is looking for one. No, no, go ahead, I replied. If you get a nice one, that just gives me more to write about. This isn't fun for me, remember? I'm working. We outdoor writers call this field research. Nasty stuff, but somebody has to do it, right? Besides, I need to take a muley from this unit because I have a whitetail only tag for the other unit. If I shoot a whitetail here, I can't do a story on hunting two species in one place. My reasoning was sound that night, but I might have reconsidered had I known about the storm rowing in from the west. I'd arrived that afternoon under clear skies and balmy temperatures, reaching Badlands National Park just at sunset, the perfect time to glass for muleys. Each little band of does had its antlered shepherd. Some had two or three. And between the harems, more hungry bucks cruised looking for a vacancy. Here was the high plains mule deer rut at its best, the way a hunter dreams of finding it. Lots of dark, wide-antlered bucks and lots of activity. The only drawback was that these park deer were off-limits. Nevertheless, they primed this jaded old carnivore. But the next morning dawned gray, cold, and whitening. By the time we reached the river breaks, the grasslands were mostly white and growing whiter. And through this accumulating snow, I shuffled, head twisted away from the northwest wind, eyes watering, hoping to stumble onto a mule deer more blinded than I. Almost immediately, I wished I'd carried a shotgun instead of my venerable Winchester 30-06. Sharp-tailed grouse were up and flying, packs of them chuckling over me as the big wind blew them toward the grain stubble to feed. As I dropped into the deepening draw and out of the fiercest wind, I heard Canada geese. A small flock was foraging on the bank of a stock-watering dam down in the canyon bottom. 
Above them, a coyote popped over the hill and slipped silently into a woody side draw. From my position about halfway down the slope, I could glass the finger draws about a quarter mile across the valley. Unfortunately, there were an equal number of such side drainages on my side of the valley, and in order to see into every twist and cranny of them, I often had to backtrack, climb, and peek over the little blue stem grass and yuccas. In this manner, I soon spotted game, dark gray, blocky, long ears gathering snow, all does, fawns, and young bucks, but I could have killed any of them without their knowing I was even in the area. That felt good. I was hunting hard, carefully, successfully. Four times I spotted deer in that draw, slipped into position, glassed them, and backed off. In addition to my ever-present binoculars, I carried an old compact Bushnell spotting scope which I laid over my fleece pack for close looks at antlers. None were what I'd driven 1,100 miles to see. This has become all too common a problem on the prairies where wildlife managers stress quantity over quality. Until sportsmen demand a change, immature muley bucks will continue to be turned into sausages before they can grow old enough to manufacture truly large antlers. One must cover ground to find a trophy muley on the plains, but as I'd seen in the Badlands, they do exist, and they are beautiful. As I neared the wide mouth of the valley, tattered notes of a vehicle's horn caught my ear. I glassed a distant line of small ash trees and spotted Chris doing jumping jacks. Was he cold? No, he was excited. Oh, he was waving at me. Had he spotted a big muley? A booner, bud, Chris shouted as I drew near him. You ain't gonna believe him. He's a monster. I think he might be a booner. Where? A mule deer? Where? Bedded? No, a whitetail. Dead. It had stood up in a patch of kosher weeds and willows across a long, narrow bend in the river as Chris walked the bank toward a densely wooded bedding area. Suddenly, there was a white throat patch, a dark face, and a beautiful, wide mass of antlers looking at him through the falling snow. I just raged up and shot as soon as the crosshairs were on his neck, Chris said, still hyperventilating. He's huge. He's beautiful. I, I didn't have much time to study him, but I think he might be a booner. To save considerable dragging time, we elected to wade across the river to fetch the deer. The water wasn't deep or particularly wide, but like all western South Dakota rivers, it was opaque. A lot like glacial rivers. In fact, it was as cold as a glacial river, so cold that it was already slowing down. Great blocks of slush ice hissed and rolled in the brown current, bumping our legs suddenly as water edged to the rim of our hip boots. But the sandy bottom was firm and the deepest hole was not quite too deep. We made it across, dry. You're the guide, yeoman, I teased. Send your client on a death march in the blizzard where only baby mule deer live, and you sneak down here and kill the big whitetail? <laughs> this will read real good. Hey, you told me to shoot, he protested before reading my face. Ah, oh, shut up and help me gut him. He's the beaut, ain't he? And that he was, with five points on one side, six on the other, good mass, beam length, and spread. We guessed him in the mid-150s to low-160s. Chris floated his trophy buck back through the ice flows without incident until I made him pose for several pictures. 
Put your foot up on that ice shelf there and hold his head up, I directed. Yeah, like that, good. Now go ahead and step up. Chris heaved, the ice broke, and Chris fell in. Funny, he didn't even scream. I always scream when I fall into 32 degree water. But Chris just shook himself off and said something like, cold. Fortunately, he had a change of socks and boots in the truck. By the time we loaded the buck, changed boots, and ate sandwiches, the afternoon was waning. But within 100 yards of our parking spot, I found a broad set of whitetail tracks in the new snow. They were smoking hot. That buck walked nearly within bow range of us while we were taking pictures, I said. He's probably just around the corner. Well, go get him, Chris said. Yeah, but I need a muley here. Well, maybe, maybe this is a muley, or maybe it's a booner whitetail. Then what will you do? Oh, I guess I'll forget the two-species hunt idea. If it's a Boone and Crockett-class whitetail, I'm taking it. I enjoyed a tense stalk up the draw, torn between closing the distance before he was gone and moving too fast and spooking him. I elected caution over speed, and as a result, he hiked out of the draw before I caught up with him. Well, it looks like he went up into, that, into the fields there, I said as I climbed back into the truck. It's getting late. Let's get on top. Somewhere we can watch for muleys coming out. Chris wheeled his sure-footed Toyota up the dirt road until we broke out on the flats. A big winter wheat field stretched to the horizon on our right, and a narrow band of pasture grass stood between us and the bluffs falling down to the river on our left. As we hurried toward the county road that would lead us to the mule deer lookout, I spotted the white tail I'd been tracking. It was trailing across that empty wheat field, nose to the ground, doe hunting, and all but oblivious to us until we'd pulled within easy shooting distance. His rack was dark and unusually tall with several sticker points. Impressive. In a panic to return to respectable whitetail habitat, he raced toward the bluffs, crossing 20 yards in front of us. Had I tracked instead of driving within range of him, I might have shot. He was tempting. The next morning, in the little prairie town of Kadoka, I had to lean hard into the motel screen door just to push the snow away. It was a repeat of the first day, except the snow was now calf-deep. En route to our hunting grounds, we spotted a fair 4x4 muley standing within 22 rimfire distance of the road. Yeehaw! Get your rope tail out of here or some dude's going to shoot you! Chris hollered out as the window as we drove by. The buck looked startled, wheeled, and bounced over the hill. Once inside the ranch gate, we picked up many fresh deer trails leading into the snowy bluffs from cold bottomland alfalfa fields. There's two bucks, Chris said. I rolled down my frosted window in time to see a small 4x4 and a medium 4x5 prancing behind several cedars in a narrow finger draw. I'm going to run up there just in case there's a big guy with them that we didn't see, I explained as I rolled out of the rig. Expecting to surprise them in the draw, I popped over the ridge, rifle ready. Nothing. The place was empty. Yet I'd see nothing slip out. I dropped down to check tracks, and I flushed a doe. Then I saw the buck spoor leading up the deepest channel out of the draw, the only place they could have exited undetected. I ran to the top in time to see the 4x5 trotting across the flats 400 yards out, about to be swallowed by swirling snow. 
I never did see the 4x4 again. Who knows what else went with them? Anyway, who thinks muleys are still dumb? Well, he hasn't hunted them since the 1960s. We walked draws and jumped brush pockets all day, bouncing out does and young bucks, holding our arms against our faces to fend off the wind, often walking backwards briefly to let our faces thaw out. I wore two stocking caps and a fleece neck gaiter. Chris hid his red beard behind a wool balaclava. Sharptails were again riding the gale. Pheasants roared up from the snow. Coyotes ducked and ran. Deep in the draws, snow sifted softly down in quiet copses of cedar and ash. Chickadees flitted amid branches, calling their names. Downy woodpeckers tapped dead limbs for grubs in the muffled winter wonderland, safe from the wind roaring overhead. In these cloistered alleys, I found a mule deer in their beds, jumped them, and watched as they lined out in their pogo stick bounce until they disappeared into the wilderness of white. In the wind and hush, I never heard a car, never detected the distant rumble of a jet. For all intents, I was hunting the prairie wilderness of 200 years ago. I found enough deer, but no old bucks, one of the risks of hunting the last few days of the season. We'd better try the next unit for whitetails, Chris announced that evening over welcome plates of hot food at a Kadoka cafe. We've only got one day left. Another morning, another blizzard. The wind chill was in the minus 30 degree range, and of course, we had to hunt into it. We walked riverside willow thickets as if trying to flush pheasants. Chris had taken a number of good bucks that way. Not only do whitetails feed on the willows, but they bed in them, fairly protected from the nasty prairie winds. I'd seen two 140-class bucks and several does in such cover during our second day of hunting. This day, we jumped a number of does and fawns, but no bucks. I don't suppose it helps that I waited for the last few days of the season, does it? I asked during a warming break in the Toyota. Well, there should still be some booners around. They never shoot them all during the first week. And this ranch doesn't get hunted much. We'll find one. Yeoman is an optimistic and enthusiastic as he is hardworking. Keep the faith. Never say die. While I waited on stand, hunched against the cold, Chris pushed through bedding cover, bottomland cottonwoods and willow thickets, cedar pockets, some of his best traditional whitetail hangouts, but to no avail. Does and fawns, coyotes. As the afternoon waned, we made a last-ditch effort, driving in a great loop that took us to the bluffs high above the river. But first, while following an old pasture trail toward the road, we dropped the front wheels of the Toyota through a sheet of ice and into a hidden pothole high-centered. Even the winch was half-submerged. Fortunately, the rancher happened to be driving out to check his cattle, and when he saw our predicament, he drove over and dropped his Ford into a similar hole. The ranch house was less than a quarter mile away, so he jogged back for a big tractor and pulled both vehicles out. You guys are nuts to hunt in these conditions, he shouted over the wind. We were too cold and in too big of a hurry to argue. Once atop the bluff across the river, we crouched and padded silently through soft snow in a beautiful stand of native switchgrass, flushing sharp tails as we went. Then Chris led the way down a shallow drainage that fell into a notch, plunging over a vertical bank 
100 feet to the river bottom, where cedars and cottonwoods created a quiet, sheltered refuge. Icy wind watered our eyes as we glassed, but below us, below us lay a pleasant microclimate. It was ideal for harboring a rut-weary buck. There's a doe, another, two more. There's a line of muleys coming out of those cedars. Deer were venturing out to forage, oblivious to our presence. We scanned frantically for antlers, for a heavy, blocky body that looked more like a bull than a deer. From where we sat, I would be able to reach accurately to 300 yards if necessary, but I could also slide down the bank, ducking from cedar to cedar, stalking close. All we needed was a suitable subject. A fork horn whitetail slipped from the cedars directly below and began walking west toward the mule deer. Suddenly they bolted and ran. The whitetail leaped backwards and retreated. Shortly, a big bobcat stalked from the cover, its stubby tail twitching. The whitetail pranced back, head high, nose testing the air. If not for the wind, we would have heard him snorting. He knew the crouching cat was there, so he worked closer. The cat leaped and bounded half-heartedly toward its quarry, which lifted its tail and dashed clear. That cat was not about to catch that buck, and both of them knew it. Yet they acted out their roles. The cat slunk away in the direction of the mule deer. Perhaps a fawn would make a mistake. At that moment, three days of storm clouds began clearing in the west. A weak winter sun slipped icily toward the horizon, guarded by two sun dogs. If we were to shoot a buck, we'd have to find it quickly. Chris ran east along the bluffs to peer into new pockets. I ran west, glassing frantically. Game was up and moving, more does and other small buck. Gloom descended. The keen wind buffeted me as I raced along the ridge to peek into fresh pockets, any of which might hide that buck for which we were searching. And then, shooting hours ended. The hunt was over. I'm sorry I couldn't produce for you, Chris apologized during the long, dark drive back to Kadoka. The weather didn't help much, but we should have found something. Ah, don't worry about it. Considering the weather, the hunting was great. But you got that big whitetail, and I turned down several average bucks. Plus that big whitetail running across the wheat field, that's better than most guys do on a three-day hunt. Add in all those sharp tails, the pheasants, and the coyotes we saw, plus that bobcat stalking the whitetail, I'd say we had quite an adventure. Well, next year you should hunt the opener with me in my northwest units, Chris said. Man, if we got some muleys and whitetails up there. And the indomitable yeoman was fired up again, talking of his beloved South Dakota prairie deer all the way back to Kadoka, despite the ice and snow, despite the sub-zero wind, despite the lateness of the season. With Chris Yeoman, deer hunting is always hot. Next year, weather permitting, he's going to prove it. Boy, that, that, that makes me cold just uh, reading that. <laughs> me too. I was thinking <laughs> I would have quit the first day. And... Yeah, I, I kind of forgotten about that hunt. When I look at the pictures here, I go, oh, yeah, I remember now. And when I read it, of course, I really start to remember that was cold. I mean, being cold is one thing you can dress for. But when that wind starts to pick up, 30 mile an hour winds, oh, my gosh, and 10 degrees below, yeah, you could die out there. But, you know, as a farm kid growing up in South Dakota, we had to go out and do chores, shovel sidewalks, whatever needed to be done outdoors. We did it under those conditions and just thought it was normal. Well, I wouldn't consider that normal. The farmer didn't consider it normal that you were out there. So it just shows that you were <laughs> yeah. determined to get a mule. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's always tough when you're trying to get a big antlered buck, you know. These days, I'm a little more interested in meat than a trophy antlers because, well, I've gotten some. You know, when you're young, you want to get that special one. So you really hold out. But as you age and you have more experience, you begin to appreciate the entire hunt and the adventure and eventually realize that that's really what you're out there to capture. You know, it's the the connection with nature, seeing the beauty and feeling it, just going through that whole experience. Um, obviously, finding a really good buck is, is icing on the cake. But just to be able to say, I hunted in blizzard conditions on the wide open prairies where the the Sioux were the masters of the prairie and the hunt back in the day. And, and here we are still able to hunt the native game in pretty much native country. Sure, it's been farmed and ranched uh, and has changed quite a bit. But still, when you come down to it, you're out there in the prairie grasses hiking over the, the flat prairies and down into the draws and the same places that have been there for eons and eons. And the deer are the same. What, what an adventure that was when you look back at it. When, when he fell into the river, how deep did he go? Oh, you know, it wasn't very deep. It's just at the top of the hip boots. You know, he had maybe an inch to spare and he was inching his way across. But when he <laughs> stepped up onto that ice shelf and it broke, he tumbled over backwards. So even though it was shallow, he got a complete dunking. Which just shows that even though when you read it, you know, years later, you were out there, and it, it could have been dangerous. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, hunters die from uh, cold and drowning a lot more than they do from gunshots and grizzly bear attacks, that's for sure. Yeah, it, so you have to be prepared. Know, know your limits. Yeah, absolutely. And I learned years ago to be prepared with at least some basic fire starting tools and stuff you know i used to st I started off with some waterproof matches and then realized in 30 mile an hour winds at 30 blow on the plains there's not much to light with a match so now i have fire starters and uh, to get things going you got to have some kind of a, a kindling to help out but on those plains if you're up in the open you don't have any place to start a fire you couldn't keep one going if you even could get it lit so you have to find a hole somewhere they call them draws where the erosion water has come off and bled the the uplands down into the river bottom if you can get out of the wind you've got a fighting chance but boy you really appreciate something like um ah, Rolvog's book on the south dakota i'm forgetting the giants in the earth fascinating story about the early pioneers in eastern south dakota and i just remember one part where this guy goes out into the blizzard to get his wife something from town or some crazy idea. But the guy realized that his wife was going crazy, being all cooped up in a little sod hut in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and there was a big blizzard raging, and she just kept after him and after him to go get something. I forgot what it was. And he just finally resigned himself to satisfying her by heading out into the blizzard, even though he knew it was a suicide mission. And he walks out into the blizzard and dies. I think they found them beside a haystack or something. But I remember years ago reading that and thinking haystack is kind of the solution if you can stumble onto one because you can burrow into it, at least get out of the wind, burrow into that haystack for insulation. It's not real easy to burrow into hay, but it's, uh, that's all I can think about out in the prairie for getting warm. Well, I think if you find yourself out in the prairie that you have to have a backup plan and uh, 
the equipment to survive because that could have happened pretty easily. I, you know, I think it's really important wherever you go in the in the Mountain West and the prairies that you have emergency uh, equipment because you can find yourself that way in a hurry. Yeah, no, no doubt. You really need to be prepared. You know, Native Americans out in the Dakotas, they didn't really even go out in the blizzards in the prairies. They would go down to the river bottom and winter in their teepees with lots of dried meat, keep their horses down in the cottonwoods to forage. And uh, they were just smarter than to go out in those howling blizzards that up on top. There really was no need to anyway. They put their meat up the same as we do now. Go hunting in the fall, put your meat in the freezer. Well, they hunted in the fall. They dried the bison. Uh, I'm sure they did a little bit of hunting down in the river bottoms and stuff, but who in his right mind wants to go up in the middle of a blizzard on a howling prairie? I have a question for you. Yes, ma'am. Would you, would you do it again? Oh, yeah. And you're about to go back to, yes. to South Dakota to go hunting. So yeah. this time... Get a deer. No, yeah, that's true. I'm going to hunt Nebraska for deer and then Kansas, but I'm hunting South Dakota for pheasants. Oh, pheasants okay. And I love to hunt pheasants in blizzards. Someday I've got to find an old story of mine about blizzard pheasant hunting because I've written about it a lot because I've done it a lot and I love it. It is so exciting and so productive. It's a challenge, but if you dress for it, you're prepared. You just, you get these birds that practically on your toe tips. I mean, I have literally looked down in the snow and seen feathers sticking out, tail feathers, and kicked that snow and kicked the bird into the air. That's how close you can get to them in those blizzards. Well, maybe I could even shoot a pheasant <laughs> to kick them, get them in the air. Maybe we'll just throw a net over them. <laughs> oh, my skill set. And yeah, well, hey, listen, anybody out there who wants to have an adventure, if you really want to challenge the elements and try something different, Consider a prairie deer hunt in the Dakotas or eastern Montana, Wyoming, out in that big plains country. The whitetails have really come on strong there because of agriculture. Uh, there's plenty of water along the river bottoms, and now ranchers have built wells and uh, put in stock ponds. So there's a lot of water. You know whitetails, they've got to have some water, and they love it. But then there are the irrigated alfalfa fields and the milo fields and corn and any kind of a grain crop like that really satisfies a whitetail. So they have, they've always been out on the prairies. Lewis and Clark wrote about them along the Missouri and South Dakota and Montana. But now they've spread even farther from the river. So if you're looking for an adventure, uh, a unique one, probably not in 30 mile an hour winds and 10 below, but if you want to get out on the prairies and really have a different experience in a different kind of a habitat, a different environment, Look into that Plains Prairie deer hunting. I think you'll have yourself a real adventure and get a lot out of it, a lot more than just the venison. I think you'll discover yourself and, and a feeling for what it's like to be a really rather insignificant creature up on that, that big, vast prairie. I have known hunters who dreamed of coming out to South Dakota to hunt, and when they did, they were so freaked out by the wide open spaces after a day they went home. I think you call it agoraphobia, fear of wide open spaces. Yeah. That's what it was. But, you know, if you learn to handle it, yeah, it can be pretty magical. Well, that's it for this uh, report from Ron Spomer Outdoors. This uh, podcasting is kind of fun. I hope you're enjoying listening as much as I'm enjoying going back to the old days and reading what I was doing 30 and 40 and even 50 years ago sometimes. 
So we're on Spomer signing off, reminding you that we're also on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look up Ron Spomer Outdoors. And now we have Patreon. So check out the Patreon app and you can become a supporting contributor and part of the Ron Spomer Outdoors community. And we'll discuss all the fun things we want to about hunting and guns and ammo and ballistics and the outdoors. And we welcome your ideas for coverage in the future. Meantime, Ron Spomer signing out with my usual, hunt honest and shoot straight. succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv on mondays head offshore with captain scott walker and steve roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures coming to me coming to me coming to me double he's jumping he's jumping he's jumping oh oh don't miss mondays with into the blue brought to you by academy sports and outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m eastern tell a few fish stories along the way on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment